Good morning, Gospel Tab family. <laughs> I am glad to be here with you. Um, I, I went to the bathroom real quick before I got started because I wanted to take care of that. And as I was walking out the door, yeah, so that's covered. Um, as I was walking out the door, though, uh, the Lord um, gave me confidence in what he's going to speak today. So <laughs> I just bless that. Um, and I say it's not me, it's him. Um, but here's what I'm confident of. Uh, I get to kick off this series in Exodus, which means I don't get many of like the major passages like the burning bush or the Exodus or walking through the Red Sea. I really get the introduction to the story of Exodus. And that is a beautiful thing because it helps us learn God's intentionality in connecting the story of scripture begun in Genesis that traces all the way through to Revelation. So when we become familiar with the fact that we don't need these big hitter verses or these big stories um, to bring us into God's presence, we get into God's presence because we see his goodness again and again and again, his intentionality and his initiation of these big moments. So I get the privilege of sharing what God did before Moses even parted the Red Sea. <laughs> uh, so I'm talking, so I'm confident of that. I'm confident that we get to explore God's intentionality in each narrative found in scripture but I'm also confident that he is going to give us a deeper understanding of hope because Exodus and the theme of redemption in scripture is, is one of the, the greatest themes that, that brings us to the cross. Uh, so we get to explore hope today, and I'm excited about that. Um, we get to explore hope, the God who gives it, uh, its ability to coexist in suffering and oppression, and how we carry that into those spaces, because we get the privilege of knowing a God who delivers and who gives hope to other people. Um, the cross of Jesus is not where our hope begins. Um, and that's something, when I, when I was sitting with this verse, I was like, what, what do you want, Jesus? What do you wanna do? And, and he wants to reveal to us what he did before there was even a nation of people crying out to him, that he initiated redemption and deliverance for us before we even had the words to cry out to him. Um, so if we were to skip Exodus and be like, oh, I just want to go straight to the cross, we would miss what God did in Exodus, what God did in Genesis that leads us to the cross. It would be like, um, like a, like a Storyline, or you know how people um, do a movie and they create this like timeline and there's like scenes. It would be as if we cut out scenes that flesh out for us who God is and what he did. So we can't, we can't skip Exodus, even though we are going to get into portions where it's a lot of law and there's a lot going on. Um, it is all a part of what God did. So the hope of deliverance has existed for us since the very moment the opposition rose against God's people. So before I jump into the passage in Exodus, there are two moments in Genesis that I want to, thanks to, <laughs> that I want to hit first. So 
In Genesis 3.15, we see this initiation of God declaring to his people that he would conquer the kingdom of the enemy. Um, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In this moment, we start to see that God is initiating this plan. The nation of Israel does not exist. He is speaking to like the OG people in the Bible, like Adam and Eve, that's it. But it comes, like that comes at a moment when they are, they are being cast out of the garden. They are learning the effects of sin on them and the rest of humanity, and God plants hope in that moment because that's all still going to happen. They are going to get kicked out. They are going to experience the suffering and oppression that we see throughout the Bible, and yet God plants hope in that moment. And then we see in God's covenant to Abraham, so again, before Moses, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is God's promise to Abraham that we're going to start to see fleshed out in these Exodus passages coming up. In the midst of this covenant, this hope of a great nation coming from Abraham, there is also the word that the nation will go into exile, will go into slavery, will experience exile, but will be brought into the promised land. So again, in the midst of God revealing his redemptive plan, his seed of hope that is going to be traced throughout scripture, it also happens in the midst of this understanding of suffering and oppression. The children of the kingdom of God will oppose and crush the empire of Satan throughout the entire narrative of scripture, but they will not escape suffering and oppression. <clears throat> All right, so the let's, um, I want to give you one more thing. The title in Exodus in Hebrew is actually, now these are the names. And this is important for us to understand because um, it is a direct link to Genesis. The first word of the book is now. So if it were to exist apart from Genesis, you'd be like, now what? Like, from what? Um, God is making this link to Genesis. He says, you need to look at Genesis and see what I've already done to understand what I'm doing in Exodus. Um, it's, it's a beginning. So even though the name is Exodus, which talks about God's deliverance of Israel, in the Hebrew uh, tr uh, name, it's saying now these are the names. This is the continuation of God's story. God's story of redemption started already. Listen, pay attention. Um, so I am going to read this passage of scripture, and I know that I threw Tim for a loop this morning because I put the entire passage that I'm preaching on in my slideshow, and it like totally messed with the computers, so I'm sorry about that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to make you stand, and we're going to pause as we get through each portion of the narrative today. So we'll get a break. I'm not going to plow through it because I feel like I would lose you. So Exodus 1.1, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Um, 
and I'm going to pause there. <laughs> All right, so we are learning that God is going to take the descendants of Jacob who have gone into Egypt to escape uh, a famine. He is going to, from this family, that numbers about 70. Okay, so we learned that it's about 70. It's a family, big family. It's a family. From that, he builds the nation of Israel. Out of that place, he builds the nation of Israel. So this is important. This is a key fact in God's redemptive plan because we know the Savior of the world comes out, is birthed out of this line. So even though it's hard to pronounce, it's a long list of names, it's a part of God's redemptive plan. All right, let's keep going. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers in that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Okay, I'm going to pause there, Tim, but you can put that up there. Um, I want us to see some of the language in this first part. Fruitful, multiplication. This is pointing back to the promises of God in Genesis. That, the, that Israel will be fruitful. Israel would multiply. They would become a nation. So we see, okay, God is, God is filling, like fulfilling his promise to Abraham in creating a nation from this family of 70. But in that moment of hope, a ruler rises to power, says he's not familiar with Joseph, and he, in his fear and anxiety over the growth of Israel, begins to oppress them. So we have this, okay, God, I see what you're doing. You're multiplying. You're creating this nation you promised, yet you're also someone is coming into power who is afraid of what you are doing and seek, is seeking to oppress that. Hope and oppression existing in the narrative of scripture. <clears throat> All right. So he said, come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. I may mispronounce some words in this. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly... Mm, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, okay, I'm going to break down the oppression that the Israel people are experiencing. And I was reading a book recently that was talking about the rule of Pharaoh and how oftentimes... Uh, we see this in the story of Joseph, too. A grab for power for Pharaoh was rooted in anxiety and fear of scarcity and what, what was in front of him would take from his power. 
What, what is this Israelite people who is growing up in front of me going to take from my power? Because I am Pharaoh. And so we see oppression come out of places where the empire or the rule of man is scared of what God's kingdom is bringing into his reign. I don't like, so he begins a three-step series of oppression over the people of Israel. So first, we will make them slaves. They will be slaves. We will work them so hard that they can no longer multiply. What happens? God's blessing and promise to Abraham comes through. They continue to multiply. So, out of fear and anxiety, he leans in again, and he seeks to oppress them. So the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. This second stage of oppression seeks to take out the capacity for Israel to continue to grow. He says, okay, I couldn't work them to stop their fruitfulness. So now I'm going to cut off their ability to continue to multiply. But the midwives feared God. Isn't it awesome that God always raises up a remnant of people who are faithful to him and fear him enough to act in obedience to him instead of what the powers of this world, the, the empire of this world, asked them to do. So the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? This makes me laugh. The midwives, midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Who knows if that's true or not. Some people believe that this is truly an act of civil disobedience where God-fearing women chose to honor the, the call of the Lord over the call. Maybe they told the other midwives to just show up late. We don't know. But he, the nation continued to grow. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Look at this blessing in the midst of a time when empire is trying to kill Hebrew babies, when it is dangerous to have a family. The Lord blesses these women and gives them families. Then, so stage three, we've tried to make them slaves and stop their multiplication. We've tried to kill their children and stop their fruitfulness. It has not worked. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So now this is across Egypt. If you saw a Hebrew boy being born, you were given the authority to, call, to, to alert them and let them know so that they could um, stop Hebrew boys from being born. So he, he took it from the midwives to the entire nation. It's like, if you see it, come tell us. We'll take them. All right. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife. This is where our hope gets really exciting. A Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. 
When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child was older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. I want to make another important point that we'll touch back on about the hope that exists in the birth of Moses. Because we could take that passage and, run, and talk about the hope, and we will, but this is not happening out of a context when Hebrew babies were being murdered. Hebrew mothers were still mourning the loss of their children. This was still happening. Moses was brought up this sprout of hope that would later in Exodus be a key player in delivering God's nation of Israel was born in the midst of terrible pain and suffering. In the midst, hope, and this is one of my points later, hope can coexist with pain and suffering. And hope is actually a strong force that can sit with pain and suffering. All right. No incident in the history of the nation is referred to more frequently by the rest of the Old Testament than that is Exodus. The theme of deliverance from bondage and redemption is central to the theology and history of the Old Testament. God displays to us, even in these beginning portions of Exodus, that he is a long-suffering God who is not afraid to break into suffering and oppression in order to set apart a people, teach them who he is and his ways, and deliver them. <clears throat> so, this is why um, I landed on hope. Because I see in our movement that God is doing a thing. And it's a beautiful thing. God is birthing hope in suffering and oppression. Uh, there's been a few, I was able to learn that God is cultivating a spirit of weeping amongst people in our church who are joining with suffering and oppression with their hope of the cross. There is freedom for us as a body to enter into suffering and oppression with the hope that we know was won for us at the cross and sit with it and weep 
And our cries can be louder because of the hope that we have at the cross. Because I am longing to see God do what I know he can do. Which is why my first point is, God is our deliverer. This is what he reveals to us in Exodus. It's what he reveals to us in Genesis, in those first two passages I talked to you about. God wants us to know, before we even ask for it, he is our deliverer. It is a part of his character that we must grow in intimacy with. And I think it's a little challenging to do depending on what context your faith was birthed. Because I was privileged to come to faith in an environment where I was not necessarily aware of the deliverance that I needed. Um, God did a work and revealed to me that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are all in need of a deliverer. But my cry for deliverance was not birthed in suffering and oppression. So that God pursued me and began to reveal to me what he is as a deliverer. I believe that a faith that has grown out of a place of suffering or oppression is very familiar with a need for God as a deliverer. And that is a place that God wants to draw all of us. God as our deliverer is a place that he wants all of us to get to understand, I am nothing without you. I cannot be delivered from anything without you. And you showed me that in the Bible before I even asked for it, when I thought that I didn't need it. You revealed to me that I needed a deliverer, and you revealed to me that you made a plan for that deliverance. You did that when there was Adam and Eve, before there was even a nation of Israel. So God is our deliverer is, is um, what is revealed in this text, something that we can trace through the entire narrative of Scripture. Um, my second point that uh, I really sat with a lot in preparation for this um, is that hope coexists with suffering and oppression. <clears throat> um, the gates of hell will not prevail. We know that as a people, if we know God as our deliverer who set this redemptive plan into motion, we know that the gates of hell will not prevail. So we can enter into hope knowing that victory was won for us at the cross. When I first moved to Aliquippa with my husband to do ministry, I remember there was a prayer gathering. And it was uh, people from the church, people who were doing ministry in the community. And I remember that at one point, I heard someone enter into lament over wanting to see God do what they had asked God to do what they had been asking God to do. They wanted to see it because they knew God as deliverer. They knew his promises in scripture and they wanted it to be here on earth as it is in heaven. And at that time, I was not as familiar with this idea of my hope being able to enter into suffering. So that made me really uncomfortable and it made me question what I had gotten myself into. Because I was like, this person has been here a lot longer than I have. And this is where they are. 
God, what are you doing? I thought you were doing a thing. <laughs> and then I, I remember um, a time in college when I had a good friend of mine who, uh, she was loved theology, she loved to learn about God, she was so close to God, and she was also so, um, her heart was very compassionate towards what was going on in the world. And I remember being with her once, and her just lamenting on her knees, asking God to come. God, you have to do it. We can't do it. You have to deliver us. You have to meet us. We can't do it on our own. Um, and just talking about what she was learning, and I, I had this discomfort raise up in me because my context for hope didn't allow for suffering and oppression. For me, hope meant we, it's done. Like, we're good. Like, God delivered us. He wanted the cross. We're happy. Like, we're good. So I remember going to one of my professors who I really respected and being like, yeah, but she's just, like, so upset and, like, like brokenhearted. And, like, we have hope, right? And he was like, yeah. We can have hope in the midst of lament. We can bring the hope of the cross into our prayers where we are on our knees begging for God to meet us. Our hope is fully intact during those moments of prayer, during those moments of lament. It is fully intact and it is still working towards a good thing that God has for us in the moments of weeping on our knees. And it has taken the Lord revealing himself as deliverer and meeting us, meeting me, in suffering, meeting people I love in their oppression, in their mistreatment, in their poverty, for me to see that the hope of the cross can coexist with suffering and oppression. The Lord did that in me. The Lord revealed that to me. So I can boldly weep on the ground, knowing that I am weeping in the presence of a God who will fulfill his promises to me and will deliver. So that is something that the Lord's doing. Man, I have, these are all personal stories, but I, I remember being back in that prayer room, and I remember um, entering into prayer and being overcome with grief over something that had happened, over the death of a loved one. And I remember the Lord breaking me down. Like, I remember starting the prayer standing. I was like, all right, we're just going to pray. I'm going to get encouraged. And I remember the Lord bringing, like, physically bending my body over in pain over what had happened and grief. But then I remember the body of Christ speaking hope into that. God giving truth to them to speak directly to my pain and to what I was experiencing. God giving them visions of what he had done. God gave them a vision of that loved one in heaven sitting on Jesus's lap because the, the power of the cross conquered sin and death and allowed for that hope to exist in the midst of pain that I still grieve, but I have the hope of the gospel to take into that pain. And that is why my third point is we carry hope into suffering. And I want to be, um, I came to the word carry um, intentionally because Oftentimes, here at the tab, you'll hear us say, uh, you have to give what you have received. 
So in order for us to have the capacity to carry hope into suffering, we need to be rooted in understanding God's hope for us. I need to be intimately aware of God as my deliverer. I need to be intimately aware of his hope in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of, 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 of the things that I am walking through, in order to be able to carry that into a situation with someone else. I carry it because I have received the deliverance. I need to know that I need it so that I can receive it, so that I can carry it to other people. So I need to be intimately aware with this, which is why reading Exodus may not, Exodus 1 is not as exciting as reading even Exodus two, like 10 verses past what I read. But the more that I come into contact with what God has said about himself, with how he started this hope before I even existed, the more he can break away my concept of what hope is and instill in me his hope. He can break down what I think hope looks like, which is comfort or a certain amount of success. And he can bring the hope of the gospel into my heart. So I need to be intimately aware of the hope that I have received from God in order to carry that into other people. And then we carry that. Scripture says we are the light of salvation to the ends of the earth. We are to bring this. We are not to be afraid that hope will somehow be dismantled if we walk into environments of suffering. Um, I think that sometimes there is anxiety and fear of what will happen to our truth if it, if it collides with the hard stuff. But let me tell you, friends, God's plan is resilient and fully intact. We cannot uh, bring it into any arena where it will be dismantled. So we are called to bring the hope of the gospel into suffering and trust the Lord with it. And we do it with humility because I am not going in there to um, take away from the pain and the suffering, to erase the pain and the suffering. I'm coming to sit in the pain and suffering and speak the truth of the hope of the gospel in the way that God is calling me to do. Um, I was reminded of this uh, just last week. I was in a prayer environment and um, someone was weeping, weeping over an individual that the Lord had given them an opportunity to minister to. And uh, I just remember sitting there and in that lament, his lament was so full. He just kept asking for God to be a father to that person. He said, God, be a father, be his father, be his father. Um, that wasn't a request that was empty of God's promise. That was a request because he knows that God will respond to his cry and be a father to that individual. We lament and we go low in our weeping over people because we know God hears the cry of his people. Um, in the next week or so, we are going to see in scripture that God responded to the cries of Israel. 
So when the nation was built, when the nation was enslaved, they responded. He responded. He, it says he remembered his promise to Abraham and he responded. And that is the catalyst for Exodus. God hears our cries and he acts. So we as faithful followers of God can enter into suffering, weep with the hope that we know was one at the cross. I can weep with my brothers and sisters who are suffering, fully aware of the hope that I have in Jesus. And that is something that I think that we need to, as a body, um, not be afraid to bring hope into the areas that God is calling us to. Um, because it's not cheap. Our hope isn't cheap. Our hope isn't fragile. Our hope isn't void of power and authority because God has given it to us. So when I enter into weeping uh, with my brothers and sisters who are facing suffering and trials, I enter boldly proclaiming the hope in while I am weeping of what God has done. And I really do believe, um, I felt it in our worship today. I felt it in that prayer gathering. I hear rumors of it happening, that God is stirring up lament in, our, in people in our body for the pain and suffering of others. So I know of a few close friends who've experienced this, but friends, if you have been stirred to tears recently in the past weeks or months over something that the Lord has brought to your heart, that is him initiating his hope into that situation, engaging you in the pain and suffering to bring hope, to intercede for hope on behalf. So I would just encourage you to press into that, press into it. And some of us don't like to cry. It's okay. God will meet you. But God is stirring up intercession in our body to acknowledge him as a deliverer, to acknowledge that his hope can exist in the midst of pain and suffering, and that we are privileged to join with our brothers and sisters who are tired, who have, been, who have had the powers of the empire of this world take advantage of them, who have seen systems fail them, who are grieving loss. We are being given the opportunity to enter into that with them with a fully intact hope of the cross that doesn't cheapen their pain but provides hope to their situation. So I just want to encourage you as we continue to traverse through Exodus to recognize that God is instilling, this is for us today. God is instilling the hope of the deliverance that we see so powerfully in Exodus in us as a body. And we go out into a world that I don't think it's hard for us to recognize the pain and suffering around us, the pain and suffering within our families, within our contexts. He is calling us out into that to join with that and bring the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ.